I don't know about you, but for me, that's an amen moment. Amen? We're going to just be dismissing children for Children's Church, and they can follow Paul Schwartz out this north door. I know, but they know the drill, I guess. So, uh, kids, God bless you as you spend time with Ms. Polly and look at the things of the kingdom of God. Before I get into uh, my message in earnest, uh, I would just want to let you know that uh, today our sister Emily is here for the last time before she heads up to the cities and then eventually back to the Middle East. So if you want to uh, connect with her, she's in the back here and you can just pull her aside after the, the service. She'd love to connect with you and uh, it's our privilege to support her and to be her sending church and so how God is using her. So one of the things about Christmas is that God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, he leaves his heavenly home to come to earth and make a way to give us a heavenly home. If you have your Bibles, would you open them to 2 Corinthians chapter 5? And I just want to read these first 10 verses of this wonderful chapter, this amazing truth that we're going to lean into today. So chapter 5, 2 Corinthians, verses 1 through 10. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our Because when we are clothed, we are not found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Many of you know that my wife Carrie is a realtor. She helps people find houses. And every once in a while, she has the opportunity to engage in what we call a new build. She goes to a, a contractor and helps a, a couple parlay a contract to build the house. So after all the finances are taken care of, you're like, you've got the money for this, great. And sign the contract, then the building of the house starts. And you know what happens to the couple who's building the house? They wait. They wait in their house until the new house is built, and then there's a closing, and they move in. It's a little different in the kingdom of God, though. 
and what God is doing for those of us who are in Christ. You see, the house is already built for you and for me, for those of us who are in Christ. And now, as we wait, he is in the process, if you will, of actually building us up and preparing us for this new place for us. Last week, we were in the end of chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul was addressing the troubles, the tribulations, the things we go through as we wait. But he said this in verse 17. Our light momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that, that far outweighs them all. And so d- today, as we look at chapter 5, he's trying, the Apostle Paul is trying to ground us in the promise, in the process, in the prize, and in the purpose of God's pre-built heavenly dwelling for us. So that's where we're going today. Let me pray, and then we'll dig in. So, Father, thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to making this plain through your Son Jesus and through your Apostle, the Apostle Paul. And it's your love letter to us. It's greatly reassuring. Would you help us to grasp the good things and the grace you're expounding to us even as we wait for our heavenly dwelling. So come, open the eyes of our heart that we may receive what you have for us. It's in, Lord, it's in your name, Lord Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. So again, we're going to kind of kind of look at this as almost like a contract. Right? We go for, for a purchase to own. So we're going to start out with the promise or the guarantee. Verse 1 of chapter 5. For we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built with human hands. So the metaphor is a tent. The metaphor is a tent for this life. And what do we know about tents? They're temporary, they're portable, but they're not intended to last forever. They can be blown over by the wind. They can be a little bit flimsy. Maybe sometimes they have leaks in them. So that's what we're dealing with right now. That is the existence we have. And our own lives in correlation are fragile. We're prone to decay and to demise. And the adversities of this life, sometimes we realize Man, I'm not sure how long this thing is going to hold up. Right? And here's the challenge, though, of our existence. This is all we've really ever known. We have this promise, but this is all we've ever known. And so when trials or hardship come our way, or injustice, or whatever is happening, sometimes we can be angry with God, God, what are you doing? We can be anxious. We can be fearful. Because this is all we've known. And we end up putting our eggs in this basket. We're living for this life. And what the Apostle Paul's trying to tell us is, this is not our home, folks. We are not home yet. This is what he's, the reality he's trying to bring to us. He seeks to anchor us. He says, we know. We know that if our earthly tent 
we live in is destroyed. We have this building from God. Now, I'm nobody's grammar nerd here, okay? But I know enough in this situation, the verb there, uh, to have, is in the present active indicative. That means you have it right now. It's not being prepared, it's right now. You got it. It's just a matter of time. It's a guarantee. It's a guarantee because what he has done. We have a building from God. An eternal house in heaven, not built by hands. That's the thing about things built by men and women, right? They decay. They fall apart. Many times I talked about the house we owned in North Platte, Nebraska. It was a wonderful, beautiful Queen Anne house. But I'll tell you, that thing was always falling apart. It was built in 1911. Had some great bones, but man, there was decay here, there was decay there. And if no one ever touches that thing, it's going to eventually fall apart. It was built by human hands. Not so with the house that God has for us. And it's guaranteed by what Christ has done in being risen from the dead. Back to chapter 4, verse 14. But we know that the one who has raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. You see, our confidence is not that we're able to regenerate ourselves. We can't. But what God has done in raising the Lord Jesus in the life he lived, the death he died for us, and the resurrection that gives us life in him. When this old tent is gone, God has built for us a place. And it's just waiting for you, just waiting for me. It's the truth that Jesus was trying to convey to his disciples in John 14. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you so. But where I go, I go to prepare a place for you. And then I'll come back to bring you to be with me. That where I am, there you may also be. What a great promise. What a great thing to lean into. And this is not God's consolation prize. This is where God is taking us. This is where he's taking us for eternity. It's like, oh, I'm sorry things are rough in your life. You know, I guess you get heaven. No, this is what God has has prepared for us. He says in verse 5, Now the one who who fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. One of the purposes of the Holy Spirit and His dwelling within us, it's a pledge. It's a witness to say, you are a child of God. And you have a home built that you might be with him. Not by human hands, but God has built it. It's a promise. It's a guarantee that we can lean into. But here's the hard part. The process. The process. What we experience as we wait. Look at verse 2. Meanwhile, we groan. Longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, 
but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, I, I don't know if any of you are grammar nerds here in this room, but if Paul was in an English class, he'd be hammered for his mixed metaphors, right? Clothed, what are we talking Are we talking about a building here, Paul, or are we talking about apparel? Clothed with a heavenly dwelling, what, what are you talking about? It doesn't matter. I think it still translates to us. We do not need to fear death. However, I don't think any of us are really looking forward to going through that process. Three, three phrases here. First of all, groaning. The groaning. That is the troubles, the loss, the pain, the injustice, the sorrow, the alienation of disease and decay of this life. And something within us says deep down inside, this is not how it's supposed to be. In fact, Paul in his letter to the Romans in chapter 8 talks about in verse 22 how all of creation groans until the sons of God are revealed. So (laughs) creation is going through that groaning process as well as we, we are. We all know this is not how it's supposed to be. And then there's a sense within that of longing. God, make it right. Anticipating how God will bring these things to an end, rightly and justly, where there's no more sorrow, no more tears, no more disease, no more decay, no more rejection, no more alienation, no more discord. Limitations are removed, and the hidden is made plain, and we will have Him. In all of his fullness. No more in, in seeing through a, a mirror dimly lit. But again, the anticipation of death, sometimes we're not wanting to be found naked or unclothed, as he puts it in verse 3 and 4. Now, what is that about? What's the imagery there? I, I believe it's shame. I believe the concept is shame. So hang in here with me. Culturally, you know, this is the Roman Empire. And people who were conquered by the Roman Empire were paraded naked through the streets in humiliation and oftentimes were condemned. So that was a reality of what was happening during that period. Also, just when people died, you know, I mean... Things were much more barbaric in those times. Someone died, you know, it often happened, especially in the lower stratas, they would be stripped naked of their clothing, their boots, their jewelry, and perhaps their bodies just left out on a dunghill somewhere outside the city. In fact, if you know the story of our Lord Jesus, as he is being crucified, what happens? So Roman guards are rolling dice to see who gets his clothes. There's a shame involved in that. And then let's go to the initial narrative of the Scriptures. Adam and Eve, who disobey their loving Heavenly Father. When they do it, they discover that they're naked. That they've disobeyed. That they ate of the tree of of knowledge of good and evil. And they're naked and they don't want to appear and be shamed by God because they know that they're naked. You add all these thoughts together, and you think about 
dying and you think about appearing before a holy God, am I ready for this? Am I going to appear before God naked? Will I be ashamed? Is that what I'm going to experience? What's that dependent upon? Because if you're clothed in yourself, in your own acts of good deeds or lack thereof, you will be found naked. You will be exposed. You will be ashamed. But this is where the promise changes when you put on Christ by faith. And that comes into play. Verse 4, clothed instead in our heavenly dwelling. So that what is mortal, that is what is dying, may be swallowed up by life. You see, death is not erased, but it's conquered. Death is not erased, it's conquered. It is swallowed up by life. And if you look at how Paul addresses this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says the same thing. Death is swallowed up victory. Here is confidence that God has given a heavenly dwelling for you, for me, for those of us who are in Christ. Verse 6, therefore we always are confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we live by faith and not by sight. We live by faith and not by sight. We live by faith and what God has done in Christ, because he is raised from the dead, because he has offered us life, it is true. It is true in him. So I don't have it yet. You don't have it yet. We're not experiencing it fully yet. But it's guaranteed. And that's what we should be living for. And we're going to get to that a little bit more when we talk about purpose. But it's not just relief from the troubles of this life. It is actually to know that it is better to be in His presence than anything that this life has to offer. So we're talking about prizing His presence. Verse Again, back to verse 6. Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would rather and would prefer to be away from the body than at home with the Lord. Now that is foreign thinking to our world. What do you mean you'd rather be away from the body and, and home with the Lord? I mean, death is horrible, right? And all the good things of this life? We had the privilege to go up to Lake City. And uh, David and Marlene were gracious to host us there. And we, they were so nice. I mean... The initial meal was wonderful. It was steak and it was halibut caught from, you know, Alaska. I mean, they, they, they blessed us. The Murrays really blessed us. And I don't mean this to, to call undue attention, but I'm just saying it was a great meal. But am I living for steak and halibut and mashed potatoes? Is that what I'm living for? And do I think that's better than being with Jesus? 
The answer is no. The answer is no. Because sometimes, here's the, cha- the challenge of us in our lives. Sometimes we're more enamored with the creation than the Creator. We're enamored more with the stuff than the Savior. And that is the idolatry we are fighting. But God's Word is showing us the greater value of being in Christ's presence and, and desiring Him, even for all the good things that this life has to offer. And there are some wonderful things, because this is my Father's world, and He gives us good things. But they're not to be worshipped. He is and enjoyed. It's what the psalmist says in Psalm 63, verse 3. Because your love is better than life, I will raise my hands. It's what Pastor Nathan keeps saying every week. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord, and apart from you I have no good thing. Psalm 16, 2. And then you get to verse 11. And in your presence is fullness of joy, and in your right hand there are pleasures forever. You see, being with Jesus is going to be better than anything you and I have ever experienced. That's the reality that the Apostle Paul is trying to bring to us. Again, it's going to be like a bride being presented before her bridegroom. This chapter 4, verse 14 talks about. And all the trouble that we have experienced it's going to be worth it. Verse 17, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. The glory of being with Him, being in His presence. And honestly, one of the things I am looking most forward to is seeing Him face to face. Again, in Paul's first letter, chapter 13 to the Corinthians, verse 12. For now... We only see a reflection as in a mirror, or dimly lit, as some, some translations say. That's some of the groaning. That's some of the longing. But then we shall see face to face. Aren't you just longing for that moment of like, oh Jesus, now I see you fully. And all the clouds, all the shadows, all the distortions even of this world, even of our own imaginations. I moved away. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. As the hymn says, and Lord, haste the day when the faith becomes sight. That's when it happens, folks. Joy of being in His presence fully, to have Him fully, and to know that what we experience is better than what we're experiencing in this tent. I want to ask you, is that your heart today? Be honest with yourself. You don't have to be honest with me, but be honest with yourself. Does your heart say, Lord, your your love is better than life. I want to desire you more than anything I desire on this side of heaven. And I'm not asking this question to shame you. But I am asking so that your heart, your soul might be satisfied. Because this is what God has made you for. The purpose He has made you for. To enjoy Him. To long for Him. And then to have that fully realized when He comes for us. To give perspective. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis in his 
essay, the weight of glory. Because sometimes we can get distracted, right? We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition while infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. What do you and I truly desire? What do we desire? Because if this is your mindset, it changes how you live and what you live for. And so the last portion of this is purpose. Purpose. Pick it up again at verse 5. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. You see, if you are in Christ... His recreation, you are a new creation, according to verse 17 in the same chapter, ultimately is that you will enter into this eternal dwelling and be restored to Himself, where we've been alienated from Him, and be present with Him like it was in the garden. A recreation. But it's also a reorientation. Verse 9. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we're at home at the body or away from it. My goal now is to please Him. And then I'm going to give a spoiler alert. You get to verse 15 in the same chapter. For He died for all, that those who may live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. It's a change of heart. It's a recalibration. I'm no longer living to please me. Because that's what our world says. You can't please everyone, so you've got to please yourself, as the old song would say. That's a lie. But now we're living to please Christ. Moving us from self-centered to Christ-centered. So we make it our goal to please Him. And here's what I don't want you to misunderstand from this passage. This is not a merit system. We're saying, okay, now, now I'm, I'm going I'm to do good and please Him and earn His love, earn His salvation. No, you already have that. But because you have that, you want to please Him. Because He loves you. I want to live to please Him because I know what joy He gets when I am in fellowship with Him and I'm doing what He really wants me to do. I love what John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. When I want to please Him. It is more an attitude of our hearts. And the more we seek to please Him, the more joy we're going to have. And the more pleasure we're going to have when we come into His presence. But again, let's face it, we do get distracted, right? We sometimes look for joy in the creation rather than the Creator. We get discouraged. This is hard, God. Maybe I'm going to look for comfort in something else besides You. We get diverted. 
I kind of like this. It's, it's, you know, it's scratching an itch I have right now. And it's a battle. And Paul's saying, let's not live for the temporary. Let's not live for self. Let's not put all our eggs in this, this tent, if you will. Because the hope of the resurrection does not bypass final judgment, but it's our safeguard through it. Verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things we have done while in the body, whether good or bad. You see, in the end, yes, everything will be exposed. Every careless deed, every careless word, every wrong attitude. And the question is, was I living for Christ or was I living for myself? Was it for good or was it for bad? Was it something that can be invested in eternity or is it something that's going to pass away? We're all going to be held accountable for how we live. All of us. You, me, everyone. With Christ or without Him. The Apostle Paul, again in his first letter to the Corinthians, talked about how we live will be tested like by fire. And those things that equate maybe wood, hay, stubble, living for self, this life, temporary pleasures, they're all going to end up burned up. We're going to end up burned up. Those things, like gold, silver, costly jewels, living for Christ, His kingdom, His word, will remain. They will be rewarded. Let's be honest. All of us have lived for wood, hay, and stubble along the way. Maybe even some of it today. The question is, what are we going to live for? Who are we living to please? This week, will you and I treasure our Lord Jesus for what He's done and coming for us and the future He's going to give us? This week, will you invest in His kingdom through serving Him? Through telling someone about Him? You know, you don't have to force the conversation, but man, Christmas changed everything. Investing in it financially, or will it just be for our own stuff? Those things won't last. It's what I call Coleman tent living. When a mansion is offered us. Let's not live like that. And here's what I want to say also. The salvation we're going to experience is not based on whether you've invested enough gold, silver, and precious stones. It is based upon the precious, priceless sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. What He has done. Living a life you and I can't live. Paying a penalty you and I can't pay. And conquering a foe that you and I cannot conquer 
He did it. Because it's secure in him. And that, again, goes back to that building that he has built for us. See, spoiler alert, in the same chapter, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Again, let's lean deeply into that. But again, the question for you and I every day, the choices we made, are we living for ourselves? Are we living for him? And that's what he's at work in us doing right now. If you're in Christ, your eternity is secure. The deal is done. He has built a house for you. It's all because of what Jesus has done. And you'll be with him forever. I just want to ask the question, is your, is your builder Jesus? Or is it someone or something else? Otherwise, you might be exposed. And Jesus doesn't want that for you. He came to give you life. Life in him. So, let me pray, and then I'm going to invite Bobby and the worship team to come up and close us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this good word of a guarantee that you've given us, even grace to go through the groaning, the longing, the challenges of waiting. And ultimately, you are our goal. So as we wait, Lord, would you give us grace to be living for something you're giving us that we might rejoice in that. And make that good promise known to others that so desperately need to hear it. We're grateful that you came to give us life, to give us a home, and it's already a done deal because of what you've done. And because of that, we want to be faithful to you. Lord Jesus, in your name I pray these things. Amen.